You are now listening to Accidental Intrigue, tales of travel and mystery, written by Kent Babin and narrated by Remington Cooney. Episode Seven. A German in Kyrgyzstan, Part Two. Late summer, two thousand and twelve. Hans Bergman made his way out of Osh Bazaar with a bad feeling pressing against his sternum, but this time it wasn't last night's vodka or this morning's greasy eggs. No, there was something off about the foreigner who had entered the pharmacy just before Hans had collected his pills and left. It was as if there had been a hint of recognition on the man's face. The problem was that the recognition only went one way. Hans had never seen the man before in his life. Just outside the frenetic arched main gate of the bazaar, it struck Hans that he might be followed. He stopped, which elicited a curse from the person behind him, and looked carefully at each of the hundred or so people in sight. Those leaving the bazaar were carrying bags filled with vegetables, meat, dry goods, and clothes. Those going in had an extra spring to their step. A few people loitered about buying kumis or kvas from old ladies. A couple of men held a stack of bills in their hands, shouting out exchange rates above the din. He was just about to draw the conclusion that he was in fact being paranoid when he spied the same foreigner looking at hats. Hans kept his eyes on the man who was now trying on an array of the traditional peaked headwear. Not an unusual scene, mind you. But something about the man's clothing made Hans wonder. He looked like a movie star on a safari, well, minus the pith helmet. The question now was what to do. If the man was a professional sent by a mir, Hans didn't like his chances. Bishkek wasn't a big place. Even if he could lose him, it was only a matter of time before Hans made a mistake that would cost him his freedom. He could feel the anxiety clawing at his consciousness. He instinctively opened up the paper bag and popped a pill from the blister pack. He'd have to hold out for thirty minutes, and then the soothing warmth of rationality would return to his being. Until then, he would try his best to act normal and get back to his hotel. Things were going well until he turned out onto the side street of his hotel. He looked over his shoulder to find the man on the opposite corner, openly staring at him. The medication was only beginning to take effect. It was no match for his jackhammering heart. He broke off into a run and then sprinted up the stairs and into his room. He locked the door and moved a table in front of it. It wouldn't do much to stop an intruder, but it did make him feel a bit more secure. He turned the fan on high and collapsed on the bed. The last week had turned him into a nervous wreck. The only thing keeping him going was the anxiety medication he was trying not to abuse. The cause of his anxiety was the plan to disrupt Amir's medical supply racket, more specifically, his part in it. It wasn't the logic that bothered him. Bill had explained that the best way to hit Amir where it hurt 
was to get his Kyrgyz pals to question the trust they had in him. It wouldn't just blow up the medical supply racket, but every other racket Amir had his grubby hands on. Chinese import schemes, illegal electricity sales, extortion of foreign mining companies. Amir was a busy man with a lot to lose. It was when Bill got down to brass tacks that a prickly sensation had overcome his right leg. He, Hans Bergman, was being asked to hijack the truck carrying the stolen medical supplies and drive it to a safe house on the eastern edge of Bishkek. It all seemed insane. What did he know about hijacking? He wanted to state the obvious, but Bill beat him to it. Hans would be given the same credentials as a NATO officer at the Manas Air Base. The racial and military hierarchy that pervaded the entire Afghan operation would ensure that the two grunts driving the truck wouldn't be able to say no to a German officer at a routine traffic stop. Bill said he had selected four trusted lieutenants to conduct the stop. All Hans had to do was approach and tell the grunts that he was commandeering the vehicle for an urgent operation. If all went as planned, the grunts would leave the truck and Hans would drive it east. When word finally got out about the stolen truck, fingers would be pointed, Bill said. The Kyrgyz would close ranks and blame the one outsider, Amir. And then, slowly but surely, they would freeze him out of everything else going on in the country. The more Hans thought about it, the more he was convinced something would go wrong. The grunts would see through his disguise, or pull a gun, or the police would double-cross him. Even if it did go well, he wondered just how badly it would damage Amir. Far from ruining him, it would only serve to sharpen his anger towards Hans. He wondered what Ivanov would do then. Was Hans an asset worth protecting, or could he be thrown to the wolves? As much as he hated to admit it, he was as expendable as a cotton swab. He was starting to regret not taking the B&D agents up on their offer. His last thought before the medication took hold was of a story Bill had told him as part of his explanation of the plan. I remember my first kick at the proverbial Central Asian corruption can. It was 1994 in Tashkent. My government had just committed millions of dollars to Uzbekistan in one of them democracy for aid deals that soured faster than mare's milk on a hot day. When one of the ministers, I can't remember which, came to me with a plan for how his allocation of the funds would be spent, I almost fell out of my chair. How naive I was to hope that schools and hospitals would be built. You know what the plan was for? Goddamn European furniture for the president's new goddamn palace. Anyhow, my point is you're not doing anything that isn't already being done. Hell, you could litigate my misdeeds for months. Trust me when I say it's just how things are done around here. Hans left his hotel just as the sun was setting, and there was no sign of the foreigner in the lobby or out on the street. He breathed a sigh of relief. It made the short walk to the Georgian restaurant a lot more comfortable. Bill was already waiting for him at a corner table. 
A jug of wine that looked like cloudy apple juice towered over two small glasses. Hans took a seat and waited. I took the liberty of ordering for us. You like Georgian food, don't you? Yeah, I love it. The food arrived promptly. Kingali, pork kebab, kachapuri, eggplant and walnut rolls, bean stew, and tandoorified bread crowded the small table. Overordering seemed to be a Georgian national sport, after all. Bill took some time to break off the stern of the bread boat and dip it into the egg and cheese mixture that resided within. He then picked up one of the dumplings by the nub, bit a hole in the dough and slurped the juice before putting almost the whole thing, minus the nub, into his mouth. Listen, Jamil, we may have a bit of a problem. A thin layer of sweat chilled Hans's brow. What's happened? Did something go wrong? What's happened is a man paid me a visit yesterday. Knew a little bit too much for my liking. But who is this man? A Gerhard van Jarsveld or some such. Had one of them names you don't easily forget, but sure as hell can't pronounce. Hans had to grip the table to keep himself from falling over. Are you okay, Jamil? You look a little flushed. Yeah, I'm fine. I don't know what's happened. I felt faint all of a sudden. Seems to me you recognize our man's name. Right. I, I, yeah, I, I do. Colonel Ivanov also knows him. Does he now? Enlighten me, why don't you? Hans obliged. When he was done, Bill filled two glasses with wine and pushed one towards Hans. See now, here's the problem, Jamil. Our man knows your real identity. Hans Bergman, of memory serves. Now why would that be? Well, uh, I- I'm not sure. You're not sure, or you don't want to tell me? I, I, I... Spit it out, Jamil. I think Gerhardt is the one sent by Amir, my former Tajik boss, to take me back to Dushanbe. He found me today in the bazaar, then he followed me to my hotel. Bill took a long drink of wine. Crash, Jamil. Didn't anyone teach you anything? Uh, no, I- I'm just a humble engineer from Stuttgart. Why would I need to know this stuff? Because you're living in a different world now, son. Your only concern should be survival. Um, yeah, okay, if you say so. But what should I do? First thing is, you need to change hotels without our man knowing. And you need to do it tonight. But, but why so quickly? Because a shipment just came in. Tonight's the night you take center stage. Back at the hotel, Hans packed the few things he had accumulated since leaving Tajikistan into a duffel bag. He was not at all confident that he could sneak out unnoticed and move to a different hotel. Sure, he would be able to spot Gerhardt loitering on the sidewalk, but what if there were others following him as well? He was really not prepared for this. Just as he was leaving, the ring of the room's telephone pierced the air. He turned to look at it, wondering why on earth it would be ringing. He walked over and gingerly picked it up. Yeah, hello? Hello, Hans. The voice sent him reaching for his anxiety pills. Ah, ah, hi, Amir. How are you, Hans? How is Colonel Ivanov? 
I'm fine. He is also fine. Uh, what do you want? Why are you calling me? You disappoint me, Hans. But why? You sent me to be killed by Colonel Ivanov. I still don't understand what I did to you. If you want to know, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I want to know. Do you play chess, Hans? No, no, I do not. Colonel Ivanov asked me the same question. A chuckle momentarily pierced Amir's serious demeanor. Pawns must be sacrificed in pursuit of larger goals. Okay, but what goals are you talking about now? I'm talking about a Central Asia ruled by Tajikistan, Hans. What do I have to do with that? I'm just an engineer from Stuttgart. You still don't understand after all of this time. Nein, I have no idea what you are talking about. <sighs> Ivanov is a powerful man. He represents the biggest threat to my plans, Hans. I sacrificed you to bring him out of the shadows. Hans waited. He hoped his heartbeat wasn't audible over the phone. You see, Hans, this is but one facet of a long war between us. I needed Ivanov to manipulate you into trying to defeat me. I still don't understand. What would that do? It would expose a part of his network, of course. Thanks to your little adventure in Kyrgyzstan, I now know who his friends are. Hans didn't realize his heart could beat any faster than it already was. You and Bill have big plans tonight, I understand. What are you talking about? There is no point in playing stupid, Hans. How do you think I found out where you're staying? I have eyes and ears everywhere. I don't believe you, Amir. There's nothing you can do to stop me. Oh, but there is, Hans. Enjoy your last few hours of freedom. The next time you'll see me, you'll wish you had said no to Ivanov. The policemen had chosen a dark stretch of road free of commercial activity for their checkpoint. Farmland sandwiched the roads on both sides. At such a late hour, few cars passed by. Hans sat on a plastic chair around a makeshift table. A bowl of tea occupied his hands. It was the only thing he could do to keep from fidgeting. Ever since the call with Amir and the move to a new hotel, a dark foreboding had occupied his mind. The men around the table paid him no mind. Everyone knew what needed to be done. They were just waiting for word from the base that the truck was en route, at which point they knew they had only five minutes to get set up. When the radio finally crackled, the men dragged a spike belt across the road and turned on their flashlights. One of them flipped on the lights of a police car. As the truck ground to a halt in front of them, the men nodded to each other. One of them motioned to Hans that it was go time. In hindsight, it was right about here that everything began to unravel. As Hans neared the truck, he noticed something strange. There was only one grunt in the cab. Then, from the opposite direction, the unmistakable wail of police sirens pierced the air. The four policemen started shouting. Two of them dragged the spike belt back to the side of the road. The other two got in the police car and shut off the lights. Hans paused. 
The sirens were getting louder. Out of the corner of his eye, he caught movement from behind the truck. Oh, scheiße. He turned to look at the approaching police cars. In less than a minute, the scene would be lit up brighter than the Stuttgart Christmas market. He didn't see any choice but to cut and run. It was then that he noticed that the four policemen had already done the same. Without a second's more thought, he took off into the farmland and then ran parallel to the road towards Bishkek. He hoped the darkness would make it impossible for anyone to spot him. He had at least ten kilometers ahead of him, and the officer's uniform was tight in all the wrong places. Sweat soaked clean through the tunic. He was gassed by the time he reached the lobby of his new hotel. He was breathing so hard he didn't notice the foreigner watching him from a cushy chair. How's it, bro? You must be Hans Bergman, or is it Jamil Muradov, or whatever you're calling yourself these days? Hans didn't like what he saw when he turned towards the man. Uh, sorry, what? Oh, I've seen you before. Who are you? The name's Gerhard van Jasfeld, but my friends call me Geri. You have been listening to Accidental Intrigue, Tales of Travel and Mystery, written by Kent Babin and narrated by Remington Cooney.